This morning, we conclude the series, Heroes. In this series, we have been learning about different heroes of the faith and how their stories can impact our lives. This morning, our worship pastor will be speaking. Caleb will be teaching on the hero in all of us and how to find our inner hero with only the true hero by our side. We all know him as Batman. Now, let's open our hearts and Bibles and get ready to receive God's Word. Good morning, guys. How's everybody doing today? Doing all right? Good. I'm just going to stare at y'all see how uncomfortable I can make everyone. Like we said, I'm going to be teaching the last message of the Heroes series, and uh, this morning I want to speak to you about a different kind of hero. The past three weeks we've been going through biblical characters, and we will, we'll look at some biblical characters this morning, um, but I want to speak to you this morning about the hero in you, the hero that was birthed inside of you when you accepted Christ as your Savior. The hero that's waiting to come out in you. It's in there. And this morning we're going to look and see if we can find it. We're going to look at um, some different Bible characters, like I said, and different characteristics of a hero. And what I'm hoping this will do is allow you to look inside of yourself and see some things that maybe you need to change. And maybe see some things that are good about yourself. I think a lot of times Christians, we get caught up in martyrdom and we like to beat ourselves up and say, man, I'm so terrible. I did this and I did that. It's all right to be proud of ourselves sometimes, guys. It's all right to look inside and say, hey, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. Now, how can I use this to further the kingdom of God? So let's look inside ourselves this morning as we go through this and see if we can pull those things out, maybe pull a few parallels out, maybe uh, look and see, okay, this is good, this is bad, and, uh, and see what we can do with it. So the first characteristics this, characteristic this morning is heroes usually have a guide. Has anybody here this morning watch a show called Gotham? Just started a few weeks ago. Great show. I got Michael. Michael's the only one. It's about Batman, right, and the city of Gotham. And if you watch the show, you can see it's, the show is set pre-Batman, pre-all of the villains and all of the superheroes, and you get to watch them grow up. And if you watch the show, you can watch Bruce Wayne, who's Batman, who happens to be my favorite, and you can see that he had a guide. He didn't just bumble about and was really rich and hope for the best and all of that. He had a guide. He had Alfred, the butler. He had Detective Gordon, who were there to help him and guide him. I'm going to tell a story. And you've probably heard this before. This is my version of the story. My dad's told this one a few times. But there was a man who was on an African safari trip, and he was out in the bush. And he was with a group of people, and he got separated from the group. And he had been walking and walking and walking for hours. Definitely thought he was going to just die out in the African bush. So as he's walking, just pushing things to the side, hoping to see an opening, a clearing, maybe a road, something, some hope, he hears something rustling over to his right. And all of a sudden, jumps right in front of him, a native in full garb, 
headdress, makeup, spear, the whole thing. Jumps right in front of him. And at this point, he backs up in the brush a little bit and says, oh, my God, I'm going to die. This is it. I'm meeting my maker. Here it goes. The man walks right up, gets right in his face. And in perfect English, looks at him and says, sir, I've been following you. And you need a guide. It's the same in our lives, guys. We need a guide. And we have one. We've been sent a guide and his name is the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our advocate. He's the spirit of truth. And he's been sent to guide us. If we look together in John 16, verse 13, it says, When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just a few chapters back, John 14, verse 16 And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And sometimes it might be kind of weird to read these scriptures and we see he'll be in you. What what do you mean? There's nothing strange about that. There's nothing particularly odd about it. It's the same thing as when we say, We have a relative, maybe a father or a mother or a grandfather that has passed away. And we say, man, I I know they're with me. I still have a part of them with me. They're still here with me. I can feel them. I know they're around. It's the same thing, guys. The Holy Spirit is with us. He's part of us. Now, see, just because he's part of us does not mean he wants to control us. Jesus' promise was of a guide, not a controller. Even though sometimes we may want to sit back in life and just say, Jesus, take the wheel, right? I could start singing it, but I won't. I'm no carry. But we could just, it'd be real easy to sit back and say, you know, God, just you do it. You take care of it. I'm just going to ride this thing out, and I'm going to get there. But that's not it. He's a guide, and he's here. He's not here to control us. He's here to guide us and help us. I think a lot of times... And this is my personal opinion. If you like it, great. If you don't, great. But this is my personal opinion. I think a lot of times as Christians, we stand around and we sit and we wait. And we're waiting on God and we're waiting on God and we're waiting on God. God, why don't you tell me what to do? Why don't you tell me what to do? I've been waiting for years and I don't know what's going on. And he's looking and talking and saying, son, daughter, just go do something. I'm right here. I love you. I want to help you. I want to guide you. I want to be with you. Just go. Just start. What's your passion? What's your love? Go and do that. He gave us those things for a reason. Sometimes we need to look in ourselves and see, what do I love? What's my passion? What's my calling? And maybe run for it. So the Holy Spirit is a guide, but not a controller. He's a trustworthy guide. We just read in chapter 14, verse 17. He is the spirit of truth. He's trustworthy. We can always rely on what he's saying. At no point is he going to lead you astray. At no point is he going to lead you in the wrong direction. At no point do you have to worry, well, I'm following what God told me to do, but 
uh, I don't know. If God says it, go for it. If God says it, go for it. Because I don't know about you guys, but my life is full of decisions every day. I have to decide to get out of bed in the morning. I don't want to, but I have to. I have to decide to take care of the tasks that I have to take care of. I have to decide and put in time and effort into the things that I'm doing. And I know you guys do too. And see, the Holy Spirit is a guide here to help us. Because last time I checked, I opened the Bible. I flipped all the way to the back. It was Revelation, a bunch of words, a map or two. And then that was it. There was no secret book in the back labeled, here's what to do. Right? There's no secret in the back that says, okay, well, where do I send the kids to school? Oh, that's in the secret book in the back. Where, where should I live? Well, that's, in the, that's in the secret book in the back. And see, that's why we have the Holy Spirit, guys. He's here to guide us and help us. But we have to establish a relationship with him. I think so many times we think of the Holy Spirit as just this orb thing floating around. He's as much Jesus and as much God as part of, and he's as much as part of the Trinity as Jesus and God are. He's as much God as the other two of the Trinity. We have a relationship with him as well. We can establish a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And in order to hear him and feel him and know his direction, we have to have a relationship with him. If we don't, we're just looking for the light switch in the dark. We have to have that relationship to be able to turn the light switch on. Now, once that relationship is established, you've got to trust that he will still speak today. The Holy Spirit was not just in the time of Acts. It was not just for those people in Jesus' time and back then. And yeah, yeah, that was cool back then, but we're on our own now. No, he still speaks today. And if you can step out, and be brave enough to establish the relationship with him and grow in that relationship, you can trust that he will speak. And when he does speak, you can trust what he's saying because he's a trustworthy guide, guys. So we have a guide, and his name is the Holy Spirit. Second, heroes will encounter temptation. Without a doubt, a hero will encounter temptation. This morning we're going to look at two different stories. You probably know both of them. I'm going to kind of paraphrase here. It's in Judges 16 if you want to try to follow, but I'm going to be jumping all over the place. We're going to look first at the story of Samson and Delilah. Samson was the strongest man to ever live. He was a Nazarite, and he was gifted from birth, and he had strength. He never cut his hair. Never. A blade never touched his head. Samson was so strong, he was walking one day, and he caught a blur out the side of his eye. And he looked, and when he looked, a lion came at him. And when the lion came at him, he grabbed it by its jaws and ripped it apart. He was so strong that he tore a city apart because they were trying to kill him because they feared him. When I think of Samson, I think of somebody like Dwayne Johnson. Right? The Rock. Just scary big. 
If I ever met that dude, I'd just run the other way. And I'm a pretty big fella. I'm, I'm just leaving. He's probably nice, but I don't want to find out. So Samson is huge. He's strong. He's got strength beyond measure, but he is a man. Later in life, Samson falls in love with a woman named Delilah. Delilah is in with the Philistines, right? So the five rulers of the Philistines come to her and say, find out what gives him strength and we'll each give you 1,100 shekels of silver so we can subdue him and put him in prison. Now she's supposed to love him, but apparently she doesn't because she agrees to this and Nowadays, that's 5,500 shekels of silver. Nowadays, that's about ninety dollars to $95,000, just so you know, give you a, a reference point. So Delilah goes to Samson and says, tell me the secret of your strength and how you can be tied and subdued. And he says, I tell you what, if you tie me with seven fresh bowstrings, I'll be as weak as any other man. So she goes, she tells the rulers, They bring her the bowstrings. She ties him up in his sleep. And then she yells, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up and busts them like twine. Doesn't even think about it. Just pops those suckers right off. So Delilah looks at him and says, you've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now, tell me, tell me, how can you be tied? I I need to know. I need to know. So Samson says, okay, okay. If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that haven't been used, I'm as weak as any other man. So she gets the new ropes. She ties him in his sleep. Apparently this dude sleeps like a rock. And she yells at him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up and busts rope like it's just fishing line. He just pops right out of the stuff. It just, he didn't even have to think about it. He just jumped up and they were disintegrated, gone. So then Delilah, all this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me, how can you be tied? He said, okay, okay. If you take the seven braids of my hair and you put it into the fabric loom and then you tighten it with the pin, then, then I'll be as weak as any other man. So she gives him a double dose of Z-Quil. Dude crashes. And she puts his hair into the loom. And she tightens it with the pin. Then she yells again, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He wakes up. Loom comes with him when he stands up. He rips his hair out. Looms in 50 pieces. And he's ready to roar. So Delilah looks at him and says, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. This is the point where if this was a men's conference, I would make a joke about wives and women. But this isn't, so I won't. So she bugged him and bugged him and bugged him and bugged him. So he told her everything. He said, no razor has ever been used on my head. I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. My head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Delilah, realizing 
that he had told her the truth at this point. Waits for him to fall asleep in her lap. Someone comes in with a razor and they shave Samson's head. Same story, men waiting. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Well, by this time he's used to it, right? I mean, you think by this point, Cat would have run from Delilah, right? I mean, but he wakes up and thinks, oh, just same as before. I've had my strength. I'll take these guys out. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines seized him. They gouged out his eyes and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding grain in prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like that's the to be continued in the Bible. So we read this story and we think of this story and we look at Samson and we look at Delilah and we think, dude, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? Okay, if you, if you read Samson's story, he already doesn't have that good of luck with women. He's married once before. She, he makes a bet with these people, and she gets him to tell him the secret to a riddle that he told the people so he would lose all of his money, and he would be taken out by these people. He doesn't have very good luck with women to begin with. So then he meets Delilah, thinks he falls in love. I, I, this is the one. I'm, I'm going to be happy. I, I found, I'm going to found true love. And she starts trying to take him out time after time after time after time. She's trying to take him down. And we look at Samson and say, dude, are you crazy? But it's the same in our lives. If we could back up and look at our lives written out as plain as we just read Samson's story. And we could see all the times that we just dabble in sin. That we just text that person, it's okay. It doesn't mean anything, it's innocent. That we just pick that 20 up off of the dresser because they don't need it. They got plenty of money and I need it more than they do. That we just click around on the internet because it's not hurting anybody. It's the same in our lives. And if we could read our story as plain as we just read his, we'd be running down the sidelines, guys, going, are you insane? Are you crazy? Do you see it? Do you see it? You're being taken down. You're being drawn away. Don't you see? Don't you see? You're going to lose this fight. You're going to lose. Come on. It's the exact same thing in our lives. So if we look at this story, we can see that Samson's acceptance of temptation led to imprisonment. And it'll do the same thing in our lives. It may not be physically, and it may be physically, but it may be a spiritual imprisonment. And if you look, temptation brought death. If you finish this story, you see that Samson eventually dies. He stays in prison his entire life. They take him out to put him on parade. And he knocks down the whole building to take everyone out. Is his death a sort of redemption? Yes. But the temptation that he gave into still led to that death. And it can do the same things in our lives if left unchecked, guys. 
James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, that gives birth to death. Let's look at the second story. You can turn with me in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. I made my own PowerPoint, so I don't have the scripture. Sorry. But if you want to follow on your iPad or your Bible, you can. Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I'd imagine so. Fully God and fully man. I think we forget that sometimes. We read stories like this about Jesus and like, oh, he's Jesus. He's good. He was hungry. Imagine if you didn't eat. We're all probably all hungry right now. Now, let's not eat for the rest of the week and come back next Sunday and see how we feel. So he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, Lucifer. Man shall not live on bread alone. Then the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it's been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I would like. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So then the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, Lucifer, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, He left him until an opportune time. So if we read this story, guys, we can if we really dig into it, we can see that Jesus became flesh and blood just like us. He fasted for 40 days and was tempted and was hungry. He knew he could have turned the stone into bread. He knew he could just make a steak appear if he wanted. But if we read in Hebrews 2.18, it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help us. He became flesh and blood just like us. Now, if we look at these two stories, we can see very, two very different responses to temptation. You can receive temptation in your life, or you can resist it. If we look at the story of Samson, we see what receiving temptation does. Bringing it on, taking it on, just just a little bit. It's going to lead to death, guys. The road of sin leads to death. But if we look at the story of Jesus, we can see that resisting temptation, resisting temptation will bring life and salvation. See, Jesus answered Satan, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In this lifetime, we're going to face a lot of different kinds of temptations. 
In the culture we live in, we face temptation almost every second of every day. We turn the TV on, we scroll through Facebook. It doesn't matter what we're doing any time of the day. We face temptation, whether it be a sexual temptation, just a little bit of texting, just a little bit of flirting at the office with that person. It doesn't matter. It's okay. It's innocent. It's temptations with money, temptations against our character, decisions that we make. We will face temptations every single day. But we can overcome temptations set before us with the help of Christ, guys, and the guide that he gave us, the Holy Spirit. See, sin will always take you further than you want to go. It's going to keep you longer than you want to stay, and it's going to cost you more than you want to pay. We are no match for temptation and sin. Our physical bodies are no match for temptation and sin, guys. We cannot overcome it in our own strength. So what's our hope? What's our hope? Is it a principle? Is it an ideology? Is it psychology? Is it medicine? Is that the hope for humanity? No. The hope for humanity is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus Christ, guys. There's only one antidote, one concept, and one principle, and it's Jesus Christ. If we can become so fixed on his beauty and his majesty and his glory, we can resist any temptation that comes our way because our eyes are fixed on the one that matters. Our eyes are fixed where we're going. Our eyes are looking straight ahead. Any temptation, any bondage, any addiction, any sin, it doesn't matter what it is, guys. You can be free. You can be whole. You can be set free in the Son of God because whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Look at your neighbor. Tell him, I'm free. Declare that in your life. I'm free. You can be free. You don't have to be held back. You don't have to be held down. You can be free in the name of Jesus. So we see that heroes, they'll follow a guide. They realize that they're human, that we will face, but we can't overcome temptation. If we follow our guide with the help of Christ, we can overcome temptation. We're going to look thirdly at the last characteristic. Heroes are people of action. Sometimes as Christ followers, guys, we have to go on the offensive Sometimes we have to stand up for what we believe in and take back what's been taken from us. Sometimes we have to believe what we know is right and go for it. So we're going to look at another story that I think everyone knows. 1 Samuel 17. It's a story of David and Goliath. I think everybody's pretty familiar with that story, but we're going to go through it together. So the Philistines, they gathered for war. And they were going to go against Israel and Saul. The Philistines were on one side of a valley. The Israelites on another. And they could see each other. And there was a valley in between. And the Philistines had this guy named Goliath. The Bible says he was six cubits and a span tall. Great. He was nine feet, nine inches tall. Imagine someone nine feet, nine inches tall. I've been around somebody who's seven feet tall. I could not imagine someone two feet taller than that and ready to just go to war. It said he had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. 
He had a bronze javelin slung on his back. And its iron point weighed 600 shekels. And a shield bearer went ahead of him. Every day, Goliath would stand at the furthest point and look at the Israelites. And he would shout, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will be our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. When Israel heard this, they ran shaken in their boots, scared to death of this nine-foot giant. So while all this is happening, you have David, who eventually becomes King David, chilling with the sheep at his dad Jesse's house, taking care of sheep out in the field, just being awesome, killing lions and bears and stuff. Just a little dude, little guy, killing lions and bears. I don't know, I like that. He had seven brothers, and the three oldest of his brothers had gone to fight. His dad comes to him and says, David, I need you to take these supplies, bring them to them, that will get you in good graces with those guys, and check on your brothers. Come back, let me know how they're doing. I'm worried about them, I want to know how they're doing. David says, awesome. I mean, this guy's killing lions and bears, guys. You don't think he wanted to be fighting? You don't think he wanted to be out in battle? So next morning, he's super excited. He gets all of the stuff. He's pushing his cart. He's rolling. He's going. He gets there, and he goes out. And he talks to his brothers, and his brothers, yeah, we're all right, we're all right, we're all right, we're all right. And all of a sudden, he's talking, and they're talking. Yeah, man, we, we did this. Yeah, look at this sword that I made. And he hears this guy. And he looks up and he sees this giant. This giant saying, send someone. When I kill them, you will be our servants. And David gets mad. David gets mad at the giant. Thinks, who does this guy think he is? To defy my God? To defy my Savior? Who does he think he is? So he hears the guys talking, and he hears the guys in the army saying, yeah, yeah, anybody that kills that dude, he never have to pay taxes again. I'm good with just that part. <laughs> He'll never have to pay taxes again. He gets the king's daughter. He gets money. He'll be the hero of heroes. David thinks to himself, take this guy out. So Saul, Saul hears of this, right? Saul sends for, um, Saul sends for David and says, Bring, get him over here. He says, look, your tenacity is awesome. I think you're great. I really like you, but I really need you to play the harp. And David says, you don't know me. I kill lions and bears. When they come and take a sheep, I run after them. I kill them and I get my sheep back. 
Saul says, all right, if you want to go for it, dude, you can go for it. So he says, if you're going to go, you need armor. So he puts his armor on David, gives him a sword, a shield. He has all this stuff on, and he starts trying to walk around. And I kind of think of Ralphie's little brother on A Christmas Story. Right? Trying to walk around, and he probably fell over. He takes it all off and says, I can't go in this. I don't, I don't know this. So he takes off running. He's running back towards the battle lines. He takes off running and on his way. Now imagine this. David's awesome. He's running. As he's running, he stops by the stream. And I would just like to imagine David stopping by the stream, picking up some rocks while he's running and keeping going, right? He's cruising. He's going. So he's running towards the battle line, and Goliath sees him. Probably had a nice little chuckle to see this kid with no armor, no sword, running at him. And then Goliath looks at him and he says, you're little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome. In the Bible, that means that dude looked good. So imagine like Ryan Gosling running towards Goliath, right? He despised him, probably because he looked so good and Goliath was probably ugly. He said to David, am I a dog that you would come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David looked at him and said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands And I will strike you. And dude, I'm cutting your head off. This very day, I will give the carcasses of your army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into my hands. The battle is the Lord's. Look at three people and say, the battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. So he's running, right? He took off from Saul and he never stopped running. He's running towards Goliath, running to the battle line. As he's running, he's got a sling in his hand. He takes a stone out of his bag. He puts it in the sling and he starts swinging. He's yelling at him, the battle is the Lord's, Goliath. And he throws it. And when he throws that smooth stone, it hits that giant right in the forehead. And he falls dead. The battle is the Lord's. Goes on that, David fulfilled his promise. He took Goliath's sword and chopped his head right off. So what conclusions can we draw from this story, guys? What can we get from this story this morning? We've all heard it. We all know David kills Goliath. Goliath falls down. He chops his head off. We can look at this and see that David, David has courage. 
Verse 48, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. He ran quickly. When everyone else is in their tents hiding, when everyone else is in their tents eating a Snickers bar, thinking about getting to go home and take a shower, he ran towards Goliath. He didn't run away. He ran at him. He ran at him, guys. Are you ready this morning to run at your enemy? Are we all sitting in the tent wondering when he's just going to go away? Guess what? He doesn't go away. We have to be ready to go out and fight him, to run towards him, to take him down with a sling and a stone, with the word of God, to bring the giants down in our lives. We can see that David had confidence in his guide. Verse 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. He had confidence in his guide, guys. See, he knew. David knew. He could run towards Goliath, no fear, just straight on as fast as he could, because he knew, this isn't me that's going to do this. This guy is defying God. This guy is defying the army of Israel. This guy is looking at God in his face and laughing and saying, go ahead, go ahead, send somebody to kill me. And that aggravated David. And he knew, it's not me doing it. This isn't my strength. If this is going to happen, this is God. God can do it. God can deliver. God can save. And see, David, he had no doubt about the outcome of the battle. Are we ready to take that stand this morning? Are we ready to look at what God has promised us? Or look at the mountain that we're facing? The thing that we know we need to overcome? Or the promise that we know God has made us about for us in our lives? Are we ready to look at those things and say, I'm going for it. I'm taking it. It's mine. Giant, get out of my way. Or do we want to relax and sit back and hope for the best? I don't know about you, but I want to go for it. I want to run for it. This church, guys, the vision that God has placed in me for this church, that I look at this, Think about this building full and other campuses and people getting to know salvation and getting to know the gospel and grace of Christ. There's buildings that, I, that God has told me that's going to be for living faith one day. That's going to be for living faith one day. And when I pass by, I reach my hand out. And you can think that's weird. I don't need you to help me grow my faith. I believe it. Do you believe it in your life for what God has promised you? Do you believe it in your life for the temptation and the sin that you're looking at that you need to overcome? Do you believe? Do you believe this morning? See, guys, faith's confidence, it isn't born of our self-awareness. It's birthed through the sure, everlasting word of God. We have the sure word, guys. We have the sure word and we have every right to proclaim the victory right now. 
we have every right to proclaim what God has promised us right now. This isn't name it, claim it. This is know it, trust it. David had the victory of faith. I used to say, a few years back, I had a saying that I would use pretty often. I'd say, expect the worst, and that way you'll never be disappointed. What a dumb thing to say. I truly believe that in my life. Why would you want to live that way? Why would you want to live thinking that the worst is going to happen and then you get to be happy because it's the worst? We serve such a great God. We serve such an awesome Savior. We serve a God who wants nothing but the best for us. He's not in heaven with the magnifying glass and we're ants and he's burning us off of the anthill. He loves us. He cares for us. He sent his son for us. Effie Marsh, an old, old pastor, said, when the man of faith takes the stone of Christ's victory over evil and puts it into the sling of the divine and then throws it in the strength of the Holy Spirit, it'll bring down any enemy. As Christians, we should never expect defeat, guys. As Christians, we should always be ready and waiting for the best. We should always be ready and waiting for God to be on our side. See, see, I read the end of the book. I read the end of the book, and we win. We win, guys. We win. Come on, let's get excited this morning. We win. We have victory in Christ. He is for us, not against us. He is on our side. He is our king. He wants us to succeed. He loves us. He loves us. We win. But see, this morning, I challenge you. What giant are you looking at? giant are you looking at, Eddie? Who's standing across the valley from you telling you, I defy you. I defy you. The only way that we can bring the hero out in us, guys, the only way is we have to take ourselves and we have to step to the side. We have to look at that cross. And we have to say, God, you step in and take my place. Just like David did. You fight my battle. Because I might be coming against this world. I might be coming against these things that are trying to drag me down and take me down. But I have victory in you. And that's the only way to find the true hero in ourselves, guys. The hero in us is Jesus Christ. The hero inside of me, the hero inside of you, is Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know who that is, 
You've heard some stories about a guy who died for you, but you don't really understand that. Please come and speak to someone. There'll be guys up here ready and waiting to pray for you. Please come and speak to someone if that doesn't make any sense to you. Because all of this is in vain. I can get excited, but if you don't understand Jesus Christ and what he actually did for you, it doesn't mean much. But if it's you this morning and you're looking at your giant and you're saying, I want to move forward. I want to step on. I want to keep going. I want to keep climbing the mountain. I want to keep going. I want to keep fighting. But every time I look up, there's a nine foot, nine inch giant staring right back at me. If that's you this morning, I encourage you, please come up here. Please come up here and let somebody pray for you. Let someone encourage you. Let someone lift you up and let you know that God is on your side. He wants you to win. He is not against us. He is for us. He loves us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. He is not against us. He is for us. If you leave with something this morning, leave with the fact that the only way to find the hero in you is to bring the Christ out of you. You've got to reach down inside and grow that relationship. You've got to reach down inside and grow that love for him. Because the hero in you is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this time together this morning. I pray that this word will have opened eyes and ears. I pray that everything we did this morning was for your name and your renown and you were magnified and you were glorified because you alone are worthy. Lord God, I pray that as we go out this week and we start facing those giants in our lives, those temptations, those things that tell us that we can't achieve what we want to achieve, that we would look to you, Father God, knowing that you bring complete and total victory into our lives. We thank you and we praise you so much.